Welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. With a mission to revolutionize education by providing youth development and underserved communities, inspiring children takes a holistic approach with extra care when it comes to physical, emotional, and mental health. They have created this community both online and in person where the ecosystem and children heal each other, sharing openly in meaningful conversation. And because of this, lives are being transformed. Welcome to Talk Tennis, Ryan, Trent, and Ricky. Thanks for joining me. How you doing? Thanks for having us. Okay. So I went to your website. You guys have so much information on so many different ways that you are helping improve the lives of children, but I want you guys each to kind of like introduce yourselves. Tell me exactly what it is that you do, although you probably wear many hats and what the focus of the Inspiring Children Foundation is all about. So about 20 years ago, like I said, uh, we started the foundation. And originally the goal was to just give young people everything I wish I had been given in high school and college. And I felt there were a lot of gaps in the education system and that we were teaching people intellectually and giving the physical uh, fitness, but they weren't being given the emotional and the mental health fitness. And I was a little bit shocked actually to look at the landscape of high performance sports uh, and even professional sports, how little was being given when it came to psychological and mental strength training um, even just protocols to help people heal anxiety or performance anxiety and things like that. Simple, pretty much something that everybody goes through, you know, but back then 20 years ago, if you, if you were to say, Hey, tennis players, let's all do yoga. Let's all meditate. Let's all talk about what you're struggling with. Let's all, let me show you some psychology around mental health and emotional health and performance psychology. They look at you like you're weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I didn't use a lot of those words, uh, because, People didn't even know what emotional and mental health was. They didn't know what meditation was. Um, I think they were just starting to even be exposed to yoga. But I didn't care. I wanted to put the best thing out there, but I wanted to put it in a language they can understand. And tennis was a great vehicle because there were a lot of kids like Trent. I met Trent when he was 14 at the inner city park that we're at right now, Lorenzi Park in Las Vegas. And they wanted to be good tennis players. So when he was 14, I didn't go up to him and say, hey, do you want to be mentally fit? <laughs> you want to learn how to meditate? You'd be like, go to hell, you know, or something like that. But, but I said, do you want to be the best you can be in, as an athlete? And he said, absolutely. And then from there, we use tennis as a vehicle to inspire uh, a mindset to want to be the best that you can be in every area of your life. Uh, what we used to talk about is being a professional life. That being a professional tennis is just too small. Like, why not do the whole thing, right? That also said, well, academics your diet, your nutrition, your sleep science, your relationships to yourself, your relationship to your, to your family, your relationships to your friends, uh, your relationships to your emotions. And how do you become, you know, a whole human that can perform at the highest level as an athlete, but also as a person. Mm-hmm. And the neat thing about Trent, who's now our executive director, he was like the first to fully buy in. He was the second child in our program. The first bought in and he bought in because the first bought in, but Trent bought in a hundred percent. You know, and and I'm talking about delayed gratification. I'm talking about like do the parties later. Let's focus on being the best. Let's get high with exercise and diet and sleep, and not with some of the other stuff. My boy Trent and his friends probably looked at. Um, and he bought in. You know, and 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 in, in in your circumstances, you can kind of tell your story, but uh, because he bought in, people saw him go from a very. I mean, not to be mean, but he was a very beginner, average player. They watched him go from a beginner player to a very high level uh, nationally ranked player to a college scholarship to captain of the team. He, he was the only athlete of Villanova University to get an award at his graduation. Um, you know, he he excelled at the highest levels. And they're like, wait, if he can do that, then I can do that. And then it created this whole organization, really generations, hundreds, thousands of people that followed in his footsteps. You know, it was transformative. So, yeah. I mean, that's my version I don't know what his version is. <laughs> yeah. So as Ryan said, I was 14, grew up here in Las Vegas, was struggling to find my way. And I was playing a local tennis tournament here in our public park. And Ryan was involved in running the tournament. And I'd beaten a kid that was 
pretty good for our city. Nothing crazy on, on a big scale. And he saw I had some ability and, and some talent and, but lacked direction. And he just asked me where I was in my life and what I wanted to do. And I never thought going to college and playing a sport in college and getting outside of Las Vegas was even a possibility until he explained the vision of the program. And as he said, there was no one before me to say, oh, look, they listened and they went there. So I had to just go on faith. And it really felt like an opportunity to take my life to the next level. And I was a late starter to the game. Mm-hmm. So uh, at 16, uh, my junior year in high school, me and my and my friend, the first two in the organization, decided to do online school. This is back in 2005 when it wasn't what it is now. It was heresy. It was heresy. <laughs> and, and guess what? Laurel Springs had just started. So we got Laurel Springs into the tennis world. I, that was the deal. If you let my two players go for free, yeah, yeah, yeah. I will market you in the tennis world. I'm so, an academy kid, so you're speaking my language. Yeah, I know so Laurel, I got Springs. Laurel Springs in the tennis game. They weren't anywhere near the tennis game. Nice. And, and the owner was like, hey, if you help me, I said, yeah, I'll help you, but I need you to help my two go free. Yeah. And then, and then I helped Connections get in the tennis game. So t- Connections wasn't in the tennis game. And I, I moved to them because they were free through state funding. And I liked that model. And then I finally landed on the program we have now. Uh, we were founding, you know, partners with the charter school. Uh, but yeah, I mean, pa- pa- every parents thought we were nuts. Yeah. And I, honestly, I don't, I say this, I don't care about tennis. I mean, I'll come <laughs> out on the podcast today. I never cared about tennis. All I cared about was giving young people a whole human approach to development so they could be their best. Mm-hmm. Tennis was just a vehicle to an excuse to get them to meditate an excuse to get them to eat healthier, to, to sleep better, to have healthier mindsets. Right. And, and I like tennis. I play it myself. I I'm passionate about it, but the real passion was about how can we help this human become extraordinary? And if they don't win, I don't give a crap. As long as they learn how to love life. Mm-hmm. And the irony, is if you learn how to live life, you will eventually win more. So the, you know, I think we've got 12 former number ones in the country through our program eight singles players that were number one, seven that played some professional Asia Muhammad's playing her first round at the Australian open today. Uh, she was 30 in the world last year. Like, so they do perform really well, mm-hmm. but we don't care about their performance. If that makes sense. No, from it totally makes sense. Standpoint. We only, in fact, me personally, I don't think I've taken a score from a tennis match in 15 years. I don't I care. Love, I love that. But what I want <laughs> is real score. What's your attitude like? Did you give your best effort this week? Did you eat healthy? Did you get to bed early? Did you hustle? Did you fight to the death? Mm-hmm. Did you let go of negative thoughts and feelings? You know, were you kind hearted? I want you to battle, go bleed, get in a fight, but were you honest and kind? So the goal is like, how did you play in the real sense? And the irony is, is when you stop focusing on the result, your results go crazy. Now he would be like, dude, you said if I did the right things. <laughs> when, like, when's it going to happen? <laughs> I mean, I think you were what? You were, it was March. No, it was January of his senior year. And he's like, dude, I don't have any college scholarships. You said if I did the right thing and I worked hard and I had a good attitude and my results don't matter and that, that it's going to turn out magic and blah, blah, bull, you know, whatever. Yeah. So then I got in on to winter nationals my senior year in high school. Is right after the holiday, you know, first late, time ever, late December, first time to get into national championship. I was almost 18. You know, all these top players have been playing super national since they were probably 11 or 12, maybe yeah. 10. And I was like, geez. So I emailed all these coaches and I just thought if I could win a set, that would be a victory. And we're big believers in that Rudy mindset. And we love the movie Rudy. And actually, Ryan and Rudy co created the Rudy Award through our organization. Um, which is great. So I just knew if I could focus on heart and mind, then we'll see how far that takes me. So out of nowhere, I ended up going five rounds at Winter Nationals. All the coaches, you know, saw me play. This is before YouTube, you know, before all that. And just let me pause. He never went five rounds at a sectional, <laughs> right? Just to understand, <laughs> like, he, he was getting good, but he started late. You know, yeah. you're, you're playing against Joe Schmo's been playing since they've been five, yeah. right? Yeah. So. Yeah. So that was my Rudy moment. That was the moment where all the work and all the delayed gratification and the putting my head down and committing to doing the right thing and absolutely giving everything I had day in and day out for about a year and a half paid off. And then from there, I was able to eventually get a scholarship to Villanova. He went three sets with this guy who was like 30 in the country. He lost. And I used to say, I'd rather you lose with a good attitude Mm -hmm. and a great effort and like a great spirit than to win 
with a with a crappy one. Right. So he lost to the guy, but the coach that would not respond to his emails happened to go watch by coincidence his opponent oh. who he was recruiting. He lost <laughs> nice. what four and three or uh, I was five and three, and this the guy was fifteen in the country at the time, so he was one of the. So so he lost. And he got recruited, and this has became a theme over 20 years. And I tell the story. Most of our kids get recruited on good losses. So he had a good loss, and the coach was like, oh, that's the guy that was emailing me? I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, so that was my moment. And I was like, geez, this guy Ryan was right. And uh, I'm <laughs> glad that I stayed on the path, and I said no to, to the other path. Um, so I eventually got a, had the opportunity to go to Villanova, and I was in the business school there and got a degree in finance. It worked in New York doing finance during a couple of my summers but knew in my heart that um, coming back to Vegas and helping the next generation was, was what the next right thing for me to do was. So I gave Ryan a two-year commitment um, after I graduated college about almost 11 years ago now. <laughs> nice. And yeah, an incredible 10 and a half year run where I've been able to be a coach and be help with events and programming. And now I've worked my way up to the executive director and we have an incredible team of a lot of other alumni like myself that have come back including Ricky here that I'll pass the mic to and he can tell a little bit about himself. Nice. Well, before, before he does, I think that, I think when Trent came back, it wasn't just, Hey, I want to give back. But it was also like, he started to realize that the real win in life is your own growth, mm. your own healing, your own emotional, mental, physical, holistic health. And he's like, yeah, I did a couple of years in college, probably digressed a little bit in that area. Mm-hmm. And was like, I want to invest in me before I go, because you did the internship on Wall Street and I worked on Wall Street. It's pretty dysfunctional from that perspective. <laughs> and he's like, look, I just want to work on me and give back to the foundation. And when he did that, he could see how much he could grow as a human being. And he started writing down like chapters, like I'm going to write a book because when you go from high school to college, challenging time, you go from college to the workforce, challenging time. He's like, there should be a book about this. So he started writing down everything that he was learning. And he really took the time to master himself in all areas. Still played tennis, ended up winning some national championships as an adult player and uh, plays at a high level. But he, he really did the work. And, and that's what's cool about our organization is everyone who works here is working on themselves. It's not like, oh, do what I say, not what I do. But, you know, have really found that there's a lot of joy and a lot of success that comes from working on yourself. And as a result, we, we don't have a lot of money, right? So we can't pay them. All. I think he made 20 five grand or 20 grand for the first couple of years, a year. Yeah. And, um, and now he still makes, he was offered eight times his salary and four times salary twice. And he turned it down. Yeah. Right. Because I think he understands that there's a currency to connection. There's a currency to, to love. There's a currency to a meaningful work environment where you can grow and connect to people in a deep way. And he's had a tremendous impact on hundreds, thousands of the next generation. Cause they're like, Oh, I'm too old. They don't want to listen to me. Like I want to be like Trent. Mm-hmm. And then we have this like multi-level generational mentoring that goes on where they learn how to master their own stuff and then they can help someone else. And Slick Rick, otherwise known as Ricky Seipert, came into our program too. And Trent was like a mentor. So what I had did to help Trent, Trent helped him and many others. And it's kind of like this trickle down effect mm-hmm. and Ricky's helped tons of people. So Slick Rick, why don't you, because <laughs> Slick Rick was in different tennis experiences. How was it different, this environment? And then what was Trent to you? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so like Ryan said, I came to the program through tennis and I tried a bunch of other tennis places before coming here. And I think there was just so much focus on the result. Like I did, I knew, I knew nothing about mental health or emotional health. Like I was mm-hmm. not in with my emotions at all. It just didn't come to my mind. Mm-hmm. All that was ever presented to me was how important it is to win this tennis match or to hit a good forehand or to be able to win, you know, however many matches at national championships. And, you know, I love tennis. I, I tried really hard, but I personally was never that person to be winning, you know, tons of matches at tournaments or winning national championships. And so I found myself in a place where, okay, like tennis is basically all that I have. I'm being told that all that matters is the result and I'm not getting these results. So like, what am I? And so I'm kind of lost and not really knowing where my place is in the world and feeling just like I have no worth. I resonate with everything you're saying. I'm like, you're the one that I connect with right now. And so I just got to a really low point where it's like, you know, it's either I have to change something or 
like I hang up the rackets and quit. Like something has to change. Yeah. And I just woke up one morning and I had some friends who were in this organization that I'd known through tournaments and volunteer work and things like that. And I reached out to them like, hey, could I try out the program, see what it's like? You know, I'm at a really low point. I need something different. And I came in, I tried it and I loved it. And from a tennis perspective, I feel like it was the first time that I ever felt like people cared about more than just how I hit the ball. I felt like there was a genuine connection and interest in myself. These were people who would support me even if I lost my match. They wouldn't like walk away and go focus on the other player just because they're playing better. Yeah. You know, these people are here to support me no matter what. And so I, I really love the program, fell in love with it. And then I decided to take a gap year after high school before going to college because I was very, you know, unsure if you want to play tennis, what school's right for me, where do my passions lie? And that postgrad year is where I met Trek. I took a gap year to work with this organization. So basically acted as the, you know, junior executive director and helped put on their events, helped with their daily programming, um, traveled and did, you know, fundraisers, fundraisers and things like that with them. Um, it was amazing. I thought I was doing it for professional reasons, like to learn like what my passion was, my major, things like that. But it really turned into a year of like just transformational growth. I learned things about myself that I never knew. I found passions that I loved. I learned some of my greatest weaknesses and flaws. I learned how to change those things and become better from them. I learned how to like accept my failures and find worth outside of just my tennis results, which was so huge. And like a thousand other lessons that, you know, stick with me to this day. And Trent was a big part of that because I feel like Trent was one of the first, you know, role models I had in my life where I could look up to him and be like, man, that's someone I want to be like like from his daily life to his work life, like there's so many facets of Trent where I can look at that and see just someone I want to be in the future. Mm -hmm. And to have that person to work with side by side every single day, I mean, like the amount of growth was just revolutionary. And I'm super grateful that I've learned so much from Trent, from so much, so many other people in this organization that I can go on and do that for other people. Like I come into this office every day as a volunteer, just because I have time in between classes or in between work. And what's rewarding for me is seeing like the younger generation, like I can be like, hey, I've been through this. This is how I got through it. I know you're struggling with this. Here's some advice on how to handle it. And no amount of like results or salary or anything like that could ever replace or make up for like what it's like to see someone transform, mm-hmm. like to see these kids go from like some of the lowest points in their life to thriving. It's just like, how do you, you can't replicate it with anything else. It's like, it's like Ryan said, you have Ryan, started with Ryan, then it goes to Trent and now I'm in that position. And I just hope that going forward, I can be that for other people. I can inspire them to go on to inspire others, you know, in their own life. You guys are awesome. I'm going to start crying. <laughs> I feel like we're going to have a moment. Um, I have to pause real quick. Tennis, and mental health are still very taboo. We've seen like this growth in mental health, like in society and people are talking about self-care and more of that. But I still feel like there's a huge disconnect between, you know, us talking about self-care and like actually doing self-care around the sport of tennis and like leaning into what that even looks like. And to have three strong men give me these like bold statements. I'm like, I have goosebumps because you don't hear this every day. And I, I honestly wish I had this when I was growing up. I wish I had this today, which I thankfully thank you guys for being here. Um, I appreciate this because I'm getting so much out of this. And if I just could be around you guys, I feel like my mental health would like increase and you would see growth from me in a couple of weeks. Um, so how does this even, where did this concept begin with? How did you even decide like, what this mental health or mental support or self-care looks like for a tennis player and how do you execute it and how do you take someone that doesn't want to open up and talk about the crap going on in their lives or in between their ears or all of the above and get them to kind of shed that I guess it's scary at the end of the day it's scary to talk about that stuff well first I mean I I used to restructure companies for a living Okay. <laughs> a little off Wall Street, they call it. And I guess you would say by most metrics, I was very successful. The money I made, I was president of a company by the time I was 26 years old. I, found, I co-founded it. And 
yet everyone around me, including billionaires that I was working with and highly successful individuals, you know, I could see that they were lacking this emotional and mental strength or peace of mind. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw a lot of excitement. I saw a lot of um, accomplishment, but I didn't see a lot of um, joy uh, or emotional connection. And I saw that translate into relationships, marriages, parenting, et cetera. And I had an awakening like, look, I, if I can restructure a company to be profitable and I can restructure me. And I was very supposedly successful, but I was a hot mess. I mean, I was smoking weed to go to bed at night because I was too stressed. Um, I drank more than I knew I should. I, I can't say that I'm proud about a lot of the things that I was doing. They're typical, but I wasn't like feeling heroic about it. Mm-hmm. And I said, there's got to be a better way to live uh, at a high, you know, I, I am like, let's be clear. We're not like Pollyanna. <laughs> when I see high performance coaches, they're my people. Yeah. Because we, if we're going to do something, we're going to do it at the highest level. Yeah. It isn't like a community program. Everybody put a rack in your hand and smile. <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we want to be the best there is not based on the results that are superficial, but the based on the results that really matter in life. And the best mm-hmm. there is for us, the metric is, do you cry out of joy? Have you cried out of joy? My voice like, right. Yes. So if you can cry out of joy, you win, mm-hmm. right? And there's an art to that. And it takes time, just like it takes time to build a tennis player. The parents are like, oh, we want to play nationals level ones, or I want to be a pro. It's like, look, that's going to take years. Mm-hmm. So to be a professional life, it does take years. But there's no reason why that should not be part of the middle school curriculum, the high school curriculum, the college curriculum, the workspace. You're going to find 20 years from now that what we're doing here is going to be at every office. It's going to be just like everybody goes to the gym now. You know, eventually they're going to go and work on their emotional mental health every day and their their community health and their social health. And um, so, you know, first it was with me. And then when I saw how simple it was and how easy to to affect change it was, I'm like, you know, why isn't this everywhere? So when we started the foundation, you know, secretly, that's all I cared about was giving you people what I wish I had. Tennis was just a vehicle. We also do uh, entrepreneur skills. We also do what's called project-driven learning. But really, they're all designed to help people to develop themselves inwardly first. Because if you get the inside right, the outside take care of it, takes care of itself. You know, that was a theory for a long time. Um, but if you look at our, our, our tennis results, we've had at least 50 that were top 20 in the country, 12 that were number one. Um, 20 that were like top five. And, you know, last year's graduating class, undergrad and grad, Harvard, Stanford, Columbia, Georgetown, USC, USD, Clark, Atlanta, UNLV. What am I missing? Stanford, Dartmouth, Dartmouth, um, USC Brown, Brown University. So the external results are coming. It's just not what we focus on. We focus on the internal, which is like, I mean, you brush your teeth, right? Twice a day. Trent only every other day, but <laughs> you brush your teeth. Why wouldn't you brush your emotional health or your mental health? Or these things are important. Right. And we have 10 pillars of healing, growth, and high performance. And we have an educational curriculum for each of those pillars. And then we have about 40 tools. And we introduce these pillars and these tools to the children when they want them. So they design their own life plan, their own business plan for their life. And they decide what they want to work on. And then over the months and quarters, they chip away at their inner game. Mm-hmm. And then that affects their outer game. And part of that, by the way, is also their outer game. Like they're working on their sleep and their nutrition, the typical stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what shocked me is at professional level and the national level, this wasn't being done. It was like, what? And I'm looking at a lot of the stories you see. It's like, well, let me, let me break something here on this podcast. Every high performance athlete has performance anxiety. Mm. <laughs> Every high performance and if it's not dealt with properly, or if it's dealt with improperly, then it, it'll get exponentially worse into a chronic or acute situation. And we're the opposite. You know, people, you know, you almost like the tennis whisperer, because most of our children come from our program. But there have been situations where there's a child who didn't have money or resources, or maybe even had resources, but was suffering with anxiety or depression, or even suicidal ideation. And, and they heard about our program, and they came to us, and they like, I'm quitting tennis, you know, and they're really good. But it was just overwhelming, but they come in our program for three to six months. And all of a sudden they love tennis again. All of a sudden they heal the relationship with their parent whose intentions were good, but they, as you know, if you're a tennis player, sometimes it can get over the top. Yes. Right. And the parents heal the relationship with their child and they're not doing it because we're like, Hey, none of it matters. No, it does matter, but let's start focusing on what really matters and not just a score. Oh, a hundred percent. But what does this look like? 
for someone, let's say they just start coming into the program. What does it look like? What kind of work are you doing? Like I am, I'm always trying to work on my mental health. I am like that person that like tries to journal in the morning, right? What I'm thankful for in the afternoon, you know, all of the things. And I know when it starts going this way that I got to do this, you know, but I'm also someone where I'm like, a 10 minute meditation right now would be really great because I'm really anxious and I'm worrying about the 600 things tomorrow that I can't control today. But like, let me put on a meditation. And sometimes I don't lean into it the way I should. I don't know so, if that makes sense. So yeah, I mean, we we couldn't really use the word meditation. We really still don't because we want our vernacular to invite everybody to the table. And we have atheists, Buddhists, Hindu, Christians, Mormons, Catholics, Jewish people, so we don't, we try to stay away from anything that would alienate or they'd be like, oh, well, that's okay. not my philosophy. That's not yeah. so, but you know, we're in the, we're in the, the quiet room, which okay. is okay. can be still or to do breathing exercises. What one would call meditation, you know, meditation is and mindfulness are very core, very core, but mindfulness is a very robust topic. It's not just meditation. So it's, it's a way of life. It includes a lot of different things, mm-hmm. playing mindfully, um, I'd say that we really meet the player where they're at. If they have anxiety around eating, we, we, we help them with that. If they have anxiety around body image, we help with that. If they have anxiety around their, their parent or mentor relationship, we deal with that. Um, we have protocols and we have a curriculum for all 10 pillars, which really encompass all of life. And then they are the creator of their path because children don't want to be told what to do. If you want them to be a high performance athlete, they can't be a puppet. They have to be self uh, critical thinker. So we invite them to design their own life plan, who they want to be, find out the areas of suffering or struggle Mm -hmm. or where they want to improve. And then we, then when they choose it, then we give it to them. Now, meditation is a no brainer. If you're an athlete and you're not meditating, you're leaving like 40% performance off the table. So, I mean, let's fast forward 20 years from now, every athlete will meditate. It'd be like not having fitness. Yeah. Like Agassi and Gil Reyes really pioneered like mainstream, like we got to do fitness if we want to be professional athletes. Everyone's going to do meditation. Everyone's going to do recovery work like yoga. Mm-hmm. If you're not, you're just way behind. Mm-hmm. So we do yoga almost every day. Oh, I love that. We do guided, I mean, uh, self-guided meditation or, or breath work every day. Mm-hmm. Um, we do group discussions. You know, it could be something as simple as just screwing around, but it could also be, this is what I'm struggling with. This is talking about what you're going through is huge, but most people think they're the only ones that have the anxiety. They're the only ones that worry about these issues. They're the only one that has this certain suffering when they realize, I'll I'll tell you a story about a young girl in our program. She was number one in the 12s. She was number one in the 14s. She was number one in the 16s. She was number one in the 18s. Do you know anyone else that ever did that? No, I don't don't think so. (laughs) I took her to a meeting with the Hilton CEO. Mm -hmm because we're big on people learning by doing real work. So I, we take the children into our meetings. They help run our events. And we were getting a sponsorship for the Tennis Channel Open, my boy, uh, Steve Bellamy. I brought her to the meeting. She was like 13. And she sat there like really stiff the whole time. And afterwards at lunch, I noticed that she went for to drink water during the meeting and then stopped and like freaked out. And at lunch, I said, what happened with the water? She's like, oh, I was just panicked. Mm-hmm. I don't want to disrupt the conversation. I thought everybody would see me. I said, okay. I said, so when did that panic. She's like, I was anxious and panicked. I said, when did that panic begin? She's like, oh, I'm panicked all the time. I'm like, what do you mean you're panicked all the time? She's like, no, I'm anxious and worried and panicked all the time, pretty much. I said, why? She's like, I don't know. And then it took me a while to get her to open up. I said, look, every human being has like 10 false negative thoughts that go on repeat in their brain. What would you say are the most common negative thoughts that come through your brain? I'm fat. I was like, are you asking me? No, I, I, I bet you these are similar, right? Because yeah. not like the 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 I call it the lying mind. The lying mind isn't original. They're all pretty similar narratives. I'm fat. She's in perfect shape, by the way. I'm stupid. Straight A student, by the way. No one likes me. She's one of the rare number ones. It's like super humble, and everyone liked her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suck at tennis. She's number one. Okay. Um, no one wants to play with me. Everybody wants to play with it. Um, and there's something wrong with me and I'm only getting worse at everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, I had an epiphany. I said, if this young girl feels this way and she's literally like a model, perfect shape, straight A student, incredible tennis player. Everyone likes her. If she feels that way, imagine what the average person feels. So what we do is we 
we help people to discover that they're not their thoughts. They're not this ruminating collection of false data and false ideas. And helping them to identify that is very important and fast. And it's been helpful with kids who tried to end their life. And that young girl who did that uh, is now at Stanford and doing very well. And she's happy as can be. It could be somebody who suffered with depression. And that young girl is at a really good school right now and no longer has depression. It could be just somebody who has performance anxiety or someone like Slick Rick who just hated tennis and wasn't that happy and wasn't wanting to end your life or anything, right? But, but you weren't like thriving. And the fact is we are meant to thrive, not just as athletes, but as humans. So we do a lot of things and it's every day. It's six days a week. We're lucky to have a coach, Tim Blenkiron, who coaches Jeannie Bouchard and Asia Muhammad. Mm -hmm. But he's our coach every day. He ran Andre Agassi's program for a long time. He cares about emotional mental health. Took me a decade to find a coach like that. Yeah. It didn't exist. So he's a really good coach, but he also cares about coaching the whole human. So every single day, he's talking about that with, with the athletes. And then after tennis, they come over to our office and we do their school together, but we incorporate not just their academics, but we have an emotional fitness curriculum, a mental health curriculum, a social health curriculum, an entrepreneur skills curriculum, a project-driven learning curriculum. So by the time they graduate us, I always say, if you should have an undergraduate level of ability, college, by the time you graduate. And that's, that's I think, what we've done. Yeah, I was going to say your players are going to be um, running the country. Hopefully <laughs> it sounds like they're going to be the best, best to run the country. <laughs> Explain what Slick Rick has been doing. Now he's a college student. Well, I think it's what hasn't Slick Rick been doing. Uh, he's a full-time student at UNLV. He helps oversee one of our transitional homes. Um, he's a traveling coach. So whenever there's big L1, L2, L3 events, Ricky's on the road. He, we had the opportunity a couple of years ago, right before uh, the year prior from COVID, we had the opportunity to run the World Team Tennis Vegas Rollers franchise. It was a brand new team in Las Vegas at the Orleans Arena. And Ricky had the opportunity to be the assistant general manager to the team as a 20-year-old. Dang, that's so he started awesome. As a runner. He started as a runner, but he was so high performing that he forced everybody to make him assistant GM. If you go ask, like, Who's the Monica Puig or or the Brian Brothers? Who who they remember from World? They'll say Slick Rick. Yeah, like he's a machine. So the thing is, is when you help a human being to get curious and discover their conflicts, and we all have them, mm -hmm. and you give them the tools to understand the psychology, and then the tools to heal, and to grow and to fix those issues, it frees up like all this energy. Yeah, and then you have all this energy to be productive instead of to bitch and complain and to be upset with somebody, right? And Slick Rick takes that energy and he became UNLV student of the year as a sophomore. He runs our, our tennis programs, administrative efforts, like runs it, what I used to do. He runs multiple tournaments, national and state. He just created a new one with Yonix just for fun. <laughs> mentors, you know, countless children for free as a volunteer, coaches them tennis, he coaches, goes to college, assistant GM of the world team tennis, helps us run our fundraisers, two, three full-time jobs where most kids, no offense, including me, are just doing keg stands and <laughs> hook up, smoking weed and taking Adderall all the time in college, right? Now, that is what it is. I did it. it that's my past. But someone like him is saying, well, wait, I can take that same time and energy and, and create magic. And that's what he's done. Have you guys like thought of expanding to adults? <laughs> That's why they call him Slick Rick, by the way. Slick Rick, dang, you're doing it. I love it. Well, we we um so the the CEO of um of Zappos, Tony Shea, recognized what was happening, and he felt that that Zappos had a really good culture. In fact, they're known for their culture. Yeah. But a lot of it was about fun, and happy hour, and community. Really, probably the best in the world at community. Um, but he really knew that he needed a little more emotional mental health in his, in his own life and in his teams with his culture. So we first spent about three years working with them and we still work with them to bring this type of curriculum. And then Saks Fifth Avenue, we've been working with them for about two years. Um, and we, a lot of other companies you wouldn't know, and we're using that as a fundraising tool oh, because cool. COVID, we got killed. Uh, you know, we lost 80% of our funding because the singer songwriter, Jewel, and the Bryan brothers have been very helpful. Jewel merged her program into our foundation. We're kind of co-foundations. Mm -hmm. And 
but normally she'll do a concert like we were going to do one in December, mm-hmm. but canceled. So we've suffered a lot and um, financially, but these other ways have helped us a little bit. Okay. And I, I noticed you guys have a lot of backing and like you said, Jewel and Brian brothers and all this crossover. And how do you deal with, I would assume it sounds like everyone that comes to you wants to be there and wants and realizes the barriers that they need to overcome. But how do you deal with a situation where that person might not be open to, well, and you also said that they, they get there when they're ready to, and when they ask you, but even like when you're working with a Zappos or something, I could guarantee if you worked with my whole team here, there's going to be a couple of people that are like, no, we're not talking about our feelings. Um, how do you kind of like bridge that gap? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think in the end, everybody wants to find love. Everybody wants to find love and everybody wants to find peace of mind and joy. And they may not show that they're open for it and they may even fight it and they may even not be open at that time, but eventually they're open to something. They're just looking for love in all the wrong places. Right. Um, you know, smoking a vape or, or doing a couple of bong hits will not get you high. It'll actually get you low in the long run. Mm-hmm. It'll make you feel worse. And I know from experience. So th- we say, look, there's a way to feel love and to get high, but it's a healthy way. And it works. And I think when people start to realize that it does work, they come around at least a little bit. Now, not everyone's going to be fully open and be like, mm-hmm. yeah, I want to grow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, even the most skeptical of people, when they see how effective it is, they do. Uh, we do have protocols and different in our program, everything is earned. Nobody gets anything like just handed to them and they have to apply and get in. So we have different tiers. Okay. You're allowed to come in for one day a week and then two days a week and then all the way up to seven days a week. And each of those tiers is geared for like a different level of interest. Like I guarantee if I came there and we did some of our group discussions that we do over dinner, one of our children actually made it into a card game called Inspire Cards. I guarantee you everyone would love it. And in that game, they would all open up about their life, but it's within a game. So they'd feel comfortable. Okay. Yeah. If I put them on the spot and said, Hey, tell me about the thing that, you, you know, your, your biggest struggle in your life and how, how it made you a better person. They would be like, why are you asking me this? But if it's part of a game, it's different. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we have different tools. We have over 40 different tools. Some are more in depth than others, but that help. I always say, if you can get, you know, youth interested in growth, you've hacked the whole system because adults are much easier. Mm-hmm. Because children are just much more skeptical and they're much more prone to candy. <laughs> they don't want a salad. You know yeah. what I mean? So what we're given is like really good salad, psychological salad. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to sell them on why that benefits them. And I think we've, you know, 20 years experience, you learn how to do it. Give me your team for a half hour. I guarantee you they'll be eating salad. Now they might not do it as much as you do. They might not be like, Hey, I want to do this every other day. Why don't we all get together and do a mindfulness club? They might not do that. Yeah, but they'll do. And in our program, you have, you have different people. I mean, even slick Rick, there was periods where he was like, ah, I'll do this, but I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're, people are skeptical, but eventually when they see it, how it impacts people, they're like, Oh, I'll try that. Suffering is a gift. So suffering does tend to bring people to be a little more open-minded. So sometimes you just have to wait for them to suffer a little bit. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring that back. Sounds like you've got somebody's <laughs> mind. Sounds like you, you have a specific situation in mind. And, no. and I would, no? Well, I know. Yes, probably. Like I, I'm like, I am all in, I have bought in. I want like, where can I sign up? I need to like be around you guys. You guys speak my language. Um, no, I've just noticed I go in through phases where I lean into my vulnerability. And I also have seen that sometimes that makes other people uncomfortable. And, um, I I've even disclosed some information sometimes, you know, like typical like tennis player, like eating, everything you've mentioned, eating disorders, depression. Like I've dealt with a lot of that stuff, but, um, when I speak about it, that's when I feel like I connect, but I also realize that again, it makes other people uncomfortable. And then it, I will, I've gotten feedback. Like, are you sure you want to say that? Are you sure you want to, you know, divulge that? Like, what if someone were to use that against you or whatnot? So then it's always kind of like, Oh shoot. Yeah. Then I would, I would say that (laughs) believe it or not, I've never seen where someone didn't really respect and deeply appreciate someone. Now they might not like my dad was really, really emotionally um, repressed and shut down because he was 
he had a lot of trauma when he was a young man and he didn't know how to deal with it. He could never open up and talk about it. And right before he passed away, he told me, he said, when you wrote me that letter 30 years ago, I, it was like one of the most amazing things ever. He goes, I never could tell you that because I didn't know how to tell you. So most people, even though they don't tell you, they don't know how to maybe say it. Mm-hmm. And they may not even know how to react to it in the moment. But a year later, six months later, five years later, when they start to face their life and see the importance of, of healing and growth work, they'll remember that statement. You know what I mean? And it opens the door for meaningful connection. And I would suggest keep being honest and real with people because that's the only way you'll, you'll attract really good people. And you will, you may repel a few people because they're not ready for that, but that's fine. Yeah. They, frankly, you probably would rather be with the people you're attracting than the people you're not. And to your, don't be surprised that those same people don't come back later and be like, Hey, now I get what you're saying. And do you mind talking about that? Cause I'm going through something, blah, 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 you know, um, good for you. If that's the case, if that's where you are. <laughs> I, like I said, it's like this roller coaster of like, Oh my gosh, should I say something? No, don't say anything. Don't let anyone know. There's thousands of people that listen to this podcast. Don't give it away. <laughs> you know what I mean? But again, at the end of the day, what you guys are easily showing me is that that's how you connect with people and that's how you grow. And that's how you are happy. And also like through this crazy time that we've all been living in the last couple of years, I don't, obviously not for you, luckily, but connection has been cut, lost. It's gone. I'm, I mean, I talk to people constantly like, oh, I just feel so disconnected. Literally they use the word disconnected. And it's like, if we all could just sit down and actually share something meaningful, like how is your day actually going? Mm-hmm. Are you, you know what I mean? can i just like have a weekly call with you guys (laughs) yeah one of our kids well that's honestly i get to do some really cool stuff because i work with jewel um i'm president of a board cool nothing's more fun than coming to this office and having real conversation nothing even comes close to it and so i understand where you're coming from i I personally try to have it every day trent i think you're good to somebody because trent was probably more shy right and didn't always want to open up and you know worked on that some people just open up mm-hmm. more naturally yeah so you know i think you might be a good person to say like how was it difficult for you to learn how to open up and what helped you the most yeah earlier you mentioned like three grown men here which we are and it's actually very personal to me to have conversations and real talk with other guys and other men as well and i think growing up as a guy we view emotional emotions as weak And if you talk about your emotions or you talk about being sad or anything other than just being happy and strong, that you're, you're half a person. So for me, actually, uh, we mentioned Gil Reyes earlier, Andre's trainer. He came and gave a a talk and a story um, to our group. We host a leadership talk series. So we've had everyone from Katrina Adams to Richard Branson and Billie Jean King and some legends. And he shared a story on how his football coach really stood out and was a big figure in his life. And he started to break down and cry. And I was like, wow, such a a strong physical man, but also such a strong man emotionally. So that showed me that uh, emotional strength and emotional intelligence was strong, not weak. So um, honestly, for me, it took me uh, a few years ago, my dad passed away uh, suddenly just out of nowhere. He just didn't wake up one night. And that was such a a blow to my whole spirit and my mind and my whole sense of being that um, through the tears and through trying to understand and continue to connect to him, it broke through a lot of layers where I allowed myself to harden and it, it it unbroke me in a way, broke me wide open. So I've been able to use that, that point of reference to, you know, continuing on with my daily work and the meditations and stillness and uh, being honest and and having open conversations about how I'm feeling and things that I'm struggling with. Mm -hmm. And I felt a lot of growth and a lot of, um, a lot of healing. And I'm still relatively new in the game to that. And every day is an opportunity to be open and to be real and to not hold things back. So that's kind of been my journey. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I am sorry to hear about your dad. But I, I'm, it's great to hear that you are leaning into it. And, and if you don't mind growing, I, yes, please. Can I highlight how ridiculous it is that you can go on a court and you want feedback like, how's my hand? How's my, my volley? 
right? Or, or the coach wants to give you feedback, like you need to tweak your forehand a little bit more, follow through a little faster. And yet our volley, our forehand, our backhand, and yet the idea of opening up to say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with my, my forehand, my volley in this situation, can you help me? But people can say, oh, I'm struggling with this emotion, can you help me? Or I'm struggling with this, my mind does this when I'm under pressure on the court, can you help me? And uh, I always say, if you were to plug a speaker into the brain, of an athlete, especially high, high pressure athletes like mm-hmm. tennis players, you'll hear all types of conversation. And the conversation is just a distraction from being able to perform. And yet, why aren't we talking about that? <laughs> why isn't that the no, a primary? I used to say to Tim, what percent of tennis is mental? And he's like, oh, 70%. Not 20, not 10, 70%. There's so many people that can hit the ball well, that can be fit. Now, fitness is obviously clearly important, and all these things are important, but why are we ignoring the emotional, the mental, and the psychological? You know, it, to me, it's just as absurd as not brushing your teeth or not taking a shower or not doing fitness, right? So, and if someone doesn't feel anxiety or depression, great, but they will. <laughs> me, the young man in our program, he's, he got up at one of our, we do like five retreats a year. Mm-hmm. Just like at a corporation, you go on a retreat to evaluate who you are and what you want to be and set your goals. We do that with our athletes and with our students. And uh, this young man stood up and he goes, you know, I feel really bad because I don't have a lot of these challenges that you guys have. I don't have, I don't have anxiety. I don't have depression. I think he was two in the country eventually too, but uh, I said, don't worry, you will. (laughs) Like it's coming. Yeah. You know, and not soon after, literally like mom lost her job. A loved one passed away. Another loved one got severely injured. Like, all the, the stuff. And if we don't have anxiety and depression now, it's, it's, we will, and it's mm-hmm. natural. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. And if we don't deal with it properly, then it becomes a big depression, like or big anxiety. But if we deal with it properly, it actually becomes fuel for our greatness. It's literally the ingredients to greatness. Give me a kid who's suffering, who has anxiety, who has, has problems financially, emotionally. Give me that kid all day. Because that child, if that person's open and they heal, they're going to be so successful. Like slick We could do this for hours. I, this is like, I love talking about this stuff too. But it, Bob, it, your, your former president and CEO, which I think he was like our first sponsor ever 20 years ago. That's so awesome. I love hearing that. Uh, uh, wishful thinking. But Don Hightower, I met him at Indian Wells. He had a big heart. Like day one, he's like, that's what you're doing? I want to help immediately. And every year, he never failed. He would just send us sneakers and rackets and, and gift cards and all types of things. And people give to us and it's great. But what's weird is only about 10% of our donors give because they really care. And Dom was always in that category. Like he was, you could feel his, his love for helping other humans. And um, so Tennis Warehouse has always been special to us. Everything that Trent ever played with... <laughs> One of our kids, it all came yeah. from tennis world. That's oh. awesome. I love hearing that because also another one of our owners, he is such, such a giver, but like he's so behind the scenes and never wants to be acknowledged, but he is, has the biggest heart and is part of the reason why this always happens. So I, that's nice to hear. And I will pass that those kind words along because I think that's something that I wanted to make sure people knew that Tennis Warehouse is not only invested in tennis players because we all love the sport, but we're invested in seeing people who maybe didn't have access to tennis play tennis or people that are struggling with personal issues play tennis. And it's just like that full, it literally is the 360 degree, we love tennis kind of thing. So yeah, I played, I grew up Manhattan Beach. Went to the Wild Academy, played at University of New Mexico. All kind, I've been all over the place. We have a Lobo. Um, Do you? Yeah, we've got 165 kids that have now gotten scholarships for academics and tennis. But, you know, I mean, honestly, one of the big reasons why I started it, too, was one, to give those kids that can't afford tennis the pathway to college. And tennis is a great vehicle to do that. And two, I was seeing... I was seeing the way in which athletes were being developed. And I'm like, one, they're missing the emotional, they're missing the mental, they're missing the social. Like, okay, you're locked in this program and you don't get to socialize. Now I'm not like one of those people let the kids have fun and they don't get good at tennis. They can do both. And then also there was bad, this is 20 years ago. There was a very dysfunctional scene at these academies. You know, it was very male dominant. Uh, I, I would see people go there and come back different. 
I always say the best high performance coaches, like the Rick Macy's and who's the guy who did Sloan uh, uh, and um, in Florida. He's very good. The, the great coaches are psychologists. Yeah. They're psychologists and they care. Like they are there, you know, pick you up, drop you up. They're there all the time. It's not a business for them. It's not a business. And the second it becomes a business, you know, and then it, there's volume, the quality goes down. And then, and when the quality goes down, it's the children running the operation. And then it's the, it's, and it's not always the best leaders, right? It's always the ones that have the most charisma or the most money or whatever it may be. And, you know, to me, it was like, how do we create the ultimate environment for a young person to thrive if they don't have money and then, and give them everything they're going to need outside of tennis? No, that's totally it. And something that you hit on that I really love is like, I've always felt like as a junior player, you go out and play. I had, I would get angry. I have a lot of passion and, and uh, it would sometimes manifest in being really upset or yelling or, you know, self hitting, um, stuff like that. And it would be like, no, you have to control that. So control that you, you guys are like, why are you upset? Let's talk about it. What's coming up? You know, like, how can we manage this instead for me? Like, I feel like it was like, shh, just learn how to shut your mouth, find an alternative thing, go touch the back fence, come back, reset. Okay. Mental work is going to be like visualizing your point. It was never like, why are you upset? What are you feeling? How can we, you know, find a way to find the opposite feeling? So and I would say the tools that you reference are actually effective and they're good, <laughs> but they're very rudimentary. They're very 1.0. And if you really want to heal something along those lines, there's a whole psychology behind it. And, um, you know, Carol Dweck came out with a great book called Mindset. And I was in arguments with coaches for a decade more. Most of our coaches did not believe in our philosophy, even the ones that we hired, but we had to hire them because we needed coaches. They can, they're like, no. Like that's soft. Like I want to be number one. I want my kids to be number one. We want to win. We're going there to win. They didn't get the psychology. And it took me literally probably a decade. And really it wasn't until Carol Dweck came out with her research proving it, that if you focus on the result, you have a, a worse result. If you focus on the mindset and the attitude, you have a better result. It's called growth mindset. If you haven't read it, it's, a, it's a priceless. You're right. I mean, they don't really teach the mental side of the game. They just don't. And I think that's, it's not their fault. It's they were trained on technique and tennis, and then they pass on what they were taught. Plus it's a higher bar. If you're going to teach tennis, but you're also teaching a whole human approach to being a professional life, you got to live that. Yeah. You can't be going out and getting hammered every night or doing drugs or doing whatever. And then tell the children, Oh, don't do that. Like mm -hmm. you got to live the brand. You know, there are a lot of coaches out there that do that. Like I I've met Macy once I knew immediately this guy's the real deal. Mm -hmm. He's in it for all the right reasons. And, 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 and I'm, I'm for academies being successful. He's got a very successful academy, but it, there's gotta be principle first and emotional mental health included. Otherwise you're going to get people that are good, but they're going to be miserable. Do statistics on how many people play tennis after college. You know, almost everyone's like, oh, I don't want to play at least for a decade. They put the racket. <laughs> yeah. How often do you play after college? Not much. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like, it, it, you, you, they get burned out. You know what I mean? We have, we have kids in our program that graduate and they're like, they want to keep playing league and keep playing. It's like, what? That's how we knew we were getting somewhere. Yeah. Like yeah. they want to keep playing. I love it. Okay. Well, I could keep, keep talking to you guys. This is cool. You play anymore or no? Oh yeah. I'm a, I play test. So I'm out on the court several times a week, five times a week. Um, I do not compete much barely ever, but that's mainly based on my location geographically. There's not a ton of tennis. Um, most of the tennis players are in this building and we like tomorrow I've got a doubles match that just internal. So that's super fun, but I'm kind of one of those that like, I was burnt out on the competition. I'm a practice player. I love to hit the ball. I can hit cross courts for hours. Um, but I like to avoid the competition because of the emotions that come up for me because I haven't healed apparently. Well, just like you learned it's like backhand, it probably took you six months to a year to master it. You, a, a human can learn the psychology around loving competition. Now the great ones like the Nadals, the Djokovic, the Bryan brothers, they learn how to love it just intentionally or accidentally. I think Wayne Bryan, I mean, let me step back and say, a lot of what we do is we came up with a lot of our own practices, but we're thieves. We stole a lot of great ideas from legends. Mm -hmm. Wayne Bryan is a legend. His book, How to Develop 
uh, a champion in arts, athletic and academics is very good. And I, I read that thing and I've stolen everything from him. We have the talent shows just like Wayne Bryan did. We have the fun trips just like Wayne Bryan did. There's a reason why Bob and Mike have a smile on their face compared to most, right? Yeah. I think if you if you queried most professional athletes, they'd say they, they're not that happy with the sport. Everyone's shocked when Agassi said he hated tennis. Right. <laughs> I'd be shocked if they said they didn't, right? I mean, because it's not an easy lifestyle to be traveling 11 months of the year, the psychological, emotional, social stress. Um, but if, if you are given the psychology and the tools to work on that, just like your backhand slice, mm -hmm. you can get to the point where it's exponentially better to the point where you love competition. Mm -hmm. Like you bring it on. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And if you look back at the greats, I think if you ask Borg or McEnroe, did they love it? I don't think they got to the point where they loved it. I think it was still an unhappy experience, but they were good at it. So they did it, you know, and that's just not the way it has to be. Next time you're in Vegas, swing by. I will. <laughs> we hit some balls. Yeah. You can come chill in the office. We have meaningful discussions all the time. Oh my gosh. I love so it. You'll, you'll be loving that. One of our girls came up with this thing called inspire cards, which is all of our prompts for our discussions in a card deck. I love that. So send us your address and we'll send you. I was just going to say, can, are they available on your website too? I'm still in the middle of uh, designing the, the boxes and the packaging and all that. Um, but the, the cards are done. So if you want. Oh, awesome. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that. And I like, I love you guys. It's like entrepreneurial spirit as well. You're not just like doing this, you're doing this and this and this. And like anything that you're interested, we were talking about Asia Muhammad. She not only plays tennis, she just designed a whole collection. And like, that's just, like you said, once you kind of clear the mind, you have more time for the positive things that you like doing. And she's doing that with Kimberly Yee, who came through our program. I Kimberly love that. And did pretty well. She started Lemons and Laundry. I think it's dot .com. Or, mm -hmm. And partnered with Asia to do that. And they've done really well. But more importantly, they're really learning about life and about business on something that they're very interested in. Mm -hmm. And that's a big theme is like, one, you can do anything. We have a flat management system. There's no like CEO. You're the next. The children are meant to think like they're the CEO. And if you, if you start to take ownership of your life and you run your life, you know, being an entrepreneur is not hard to do because you've always thought you've already, you've been your own mm -hmm. CEO for a long time. So we do have a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, is there anyone else in the country doing something like this that you know of, or is it just you guys? So to the credit of Judy Levering with the United States Tennis Association, she started the USTA Foundation. Okay. We met Judy, Tim and I, uh, 20 years ago at the president's box. She heard about the Team Agassi program and the Team Brian program. Because back then he ran Team Agassi, I ran Team Brian, and we would play each other. Mm. And we would compete and we would talk trash. <laughs> and I'd be like, your kids are great, but their GPAs suck. My kids are going to Harvard. You guys aren't even getting into school. Like we would talk trash. Then he'd be like, no, all my kids got A's now. And my kid just, you know, Asia Muhammad just won the Easter Bowl. So <laughs> if you guys want, you know, a T-shirt, we'll bring one back for you. Like we would talk trash. Yes in a fun way. And then we had snowball fights and we would travel together and then we would eat together and we became almost one program, you know? So that was, you know, the, the beginning of Judy saying, well, why don't we do this in other cities? And Judy um, talked to Dan Limbago, Katrina Adams, who else was involved in that? Those are the main. I think they really fought to duplicate the academics, high performance tennis, community volunteering through the USTA Foundation in NJTLs. NJTLs were traditionally recreational, introductory. Mm -hmm. And this, they ushered in basically, our, they took our concept called excellence teams and they, they adopted it through the USTA. And now there's 16 cities with it. Sloan has a team, you know, a lot of other pros have teams and we play those other teams. Philadelphia was one of the programs, even before the USTA did it, they, they copied our, our model. Um, so yeah, it's being copied from a tennis standpoint. And then there's a lot of schools that are taking the emotional mental health pieces and putting it in their schools. Nice. That's awesome. So how many kids do you have right now that you're working with and what's like the age range? So just think of a community tennis organization. If mm -hmm. uh, we have about 1500 in our community tennis association. Okay. So we run 23 tournaments, three nationals, uh, two level threes, um, the team Brian national championship and the Mike Agassino quit national championship. We have free programs in parks, um, inner city parks. 
uh, at schools. And then we have like an awards banquet. And then we have our night program, two days a week, three days a week, and then a night academy, and then a morning academy. And each of these opportunities, you earn your way to the next. Okay. And you either pay a small amount or you pay, oh, by the way, so the morning academy and the night academy is open to anybody. Okay. But if you can afford it, you pay the full price. If you don't have the money, then you're sponsored, your your scholarship from the foundation. And Tim Blankiron, who's our coach, he actually donates that to us. Oh, we don't wow. have to pay him. It'd be probably too much if we had to pay him. And so what's neat about that is you have an academy where half the children come from one socioeconomic background, the other half, and they kind of intermingle and they grow from each other. That's really cool. And even to imagine that, because you might have a player that, you know, doesn't come from much and they might be sharing some of the same issues that someone who has a lot comes from. Um, but yeah, and you can find common ground and communicate and help each other and make friends. <laughs> right. That's the good awesome. thing about being, if you have suffering as a child, it's almost an advantage because you can be like, Oh, I'm suffering because my father is suffering with drug addiction or my, my, I, one of my parents passed away. It's an excuse to talk about what's going on inside of everybody. We had a young girl who came to one of our retreats and she's like, I feel bad admitting that I have a lot of anxiety and I feel depressed a lot of times, but I feel bad because I have great parents. I don't have the financial or traumatic situations that many of you guys do, but I still feel this way and I feel bad for it. And this other young girl who I'd say has had as much trauma as anyone I've ever met raised her hand and said, well, wait, we all have a mind that attacks us with negative thoughts. So just because you have great parents and just because you have all the money, you know, money, doesn't mean you don't have a human mind that attacks you with negative thoughts and you shouldn't feel bad about that because that's just normal. Mm -hmm. And then you can talk about it and then you can learn how to heal it. And then it doesn't bother you. So profound. <laughs> like these right? conversations. By the way, that's everybody. I don't care. I mean, one person that says they don't have a thought, a brain that attacks them with negative thoughts of fear, anxiety, and doubt. Everybody has that. And if they don't talk about it and learn how to deal with it, it will, it will deal with them. hundred percent. What else do the listeners need to know about this organization, all the amazing work you guys are doing? This is, I am so glad that I, we finally got a chance to chat because it's really cool. Yeah, I'd say uh, if they want to follow us, check us out on Instagram at Inspiring Children or on Facebook, Inspiring Children Foundation. Our website is inspiringchildren.org. And we have a lot of great ways that people can get involved and help spread the word and uh, we do a variety of, um, we have an online mental health community that we created as well. Uh, it's on the Twitch channel called Inspire House. Um, along with Jewel, we've created an incredible online um, mental health community that has a lot of tools and resources that we've brought to scale. And that's jewelneverbroken.com. So those are some other great resources as well. And then Bob and Mike Brian, I mean, look, these guys, everything you think, double quadruple it. The kindest most extraordinary humans I know when sh this young girl in our program was in the hospital because she didn't want to live. It was a very difficult situation. Um, Bob at the Australian open stayed up late and wrote her a song. And then him and Mike played it on their piano and their drums and guitar and then sang it. He's not even a singer. He doesn't let me like play it publicly because he doesn't sing her. That's just one of a hundred examples of when these guys personally got involved in their lives, mentored the children gave them tips, gave them opportunities. You know, I mean, they've, so our tennis program is called Team Brian. It's after them. And Wayne Brian and Kathy equally as much. And Nadia and Michelle, the whole family is very deeply invested. Michelle is really helpful of Kimberly and Asia's clothing line. They're deeply invested in, in helping other people. And where, you know, some celebrities put their name on something. So then this is, this is person, they're very involved. Without them, and, and Jewel, you know, the singer, the Grammy artist, Jewel, you know, we would we would probably be nowhere. And really without this guy. I mean, he's our executive director. He If he hadn't trusted and listened, none of it would have happened. And then after that, had he not continued his journey to being a better person, that's really the magic, is living the brand. And he lives the brand, not perfectly. You know, look, he's got to shave a little bit, maybe. <laughs> not perfectly. But... But he makes the attempt and that's the magic. I'm just like, can I just listen to you guys talk? I'm Not sorry. Biggest, but a, uh, we got a spot for, uh, 
for adult league training. We can train you for seriously. Adult. Like, <laughs> let's go. I'm. Oh, I love. I love this stuff, you guys. I love it. It's really cool. I think it's really, really, really cool because honestly, to me, for for someone that's been in tennis for over thirty years, I've not come across anyone talking like this. So it's it's really cool. It's really cool. And it's like, I obviously have brought up, I struggle with my story or my, my issues, my shortcomings and all of the above. And it's like, especially lately, you feel like, okay, you either shut your mouth or you talk and today we're going to shut our mouth and not talk. And it's just really nice to connect with people that get it, I guess, or are, you know, like in the same space where it's like, you realize how much, how important it is to connect with people again, I guess. And maybe that's like the whole idea of this podcast even is just like connecting with people. And maybe someone's going to listen to this and connect with you guys, or maybe they have someone in their life who would really get a lot out of connecting with you guys. And they go to your website and, you know, maybe you, their lives are changed just from the simple podcast yeah and you too you keep opening up i can tell you, like nicole gibbs i don't know if you remember nicole but she did a podcast once and you, you know you think oh people are going to think i'm weird no the opposite you're giving everyone else the permission to be honest and to be real uh it's it's a winning hand yeah i'm trading your winning hand and we've got a lot of really good examples of that in tennis uh, I guarantee you people doubted Rick Macy when he was young. I guarantee Wayne Bryan left being a lawyer to coach tennis. I'm sure his parents were like, what are you thinking? If you know something matters, do it. Gil Reyes is like fitness matters. Nobody really spoke that tune back then. Right. And, and you know, be a pioneer. Now, uh, just as you're saying, like, you want to find that meaningful connection, there's people out there, too, that also want to find it. And a lot of times they're just too afraid to reach out or open up to say it. So you can be that light for other people by continuing to be open, continuing to share. Even if sometimes it's not always received the way you want it to be received, someone may hear it and they may not react to it immediately, but down the line, or at least internally, they may think, wow, that really impacted me. So just keep staying open. You can do the same thing for other people. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, let us know. We'll come back. (laughs) The stories will blow your freaking mind. Like, It, it, even if you just heard Trent's story, if you only heard 30 seconds of it, Ricky's, we've got hundreds of those. And they're honestly the greatest victories in tennis. I mean, they're just, and, and, the, and the different matches that they had to face off the court, blow your mind. Yeah. And then how they handle it and rose to the occasion. Or just keep us, keep sending us your podcast. We'll promote it. We'll put it out there. Huge fan of Tennis Warehouse. Well, I appreciate you guys so much for sharing everything and taking the time to chat with me. I know you're super busy doing work that I am so glad that the tennis industry now has someone to turn to for mental health. This is awesome. Keep on keeping on please. And keep, keep, keep growing. We'll send you some of our podcasts too, but, but come to us whenever you're in Vegas. Yes. I I'm for sure coming. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. Thank you guys. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you download your episodes. And be sure to visit our websites for all of the tennis deals at tenniswarehouse.com, tenniswarehouseeurope.com, and tennisonly.com.au. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, happy hitting.